has everything to do with what God is doing and wants to do in our church's life. It is not by chance that in our midst of uh, a month of renewal, emphasis, that we have had Disciple Now, in which our students have drawn their lives close to God, and they have done business with God. I'm actually the guy that came in late last night to clean up about 9.45, and it was quite a scene of, I didn't know what was going on here. I was out in the hallway, and these doors opened, and there was this flood of students. I didn't know if there was a fire in here or what. I mean, there's just this line of students coming down that hallway, and I'm going, okay, let me, oh, let me step to the side. And it was, it was the students, and it was the counselors, and obviously there's five churches. I didn't think there was anybody left in here. I was thinking, wow. I thought there were about 200 people that went out. And I'm thinking, well, how many were, are inside? And I never looked, but I thought, I felt like uh, there was a mass of people, and they were all through the church building dealing with God. Uh, lots of tears shed. Lots of hugs. Um, doing business with God. Uh, has everything to do with what God wants to do in our lives. And let me say this then this morning. And this morning we will not tarry. David Shaw has been up late. And I'm not saying it was the Lord's business at all. And when the altar call is given here in just a few minutes, he will either come or he will be called. <laughs> Let me say this. It does not matter where you are in your journey this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm 44 years in. It's been a long time. It does not matter where you are in your journey. I don't know about your past. I don't know what kind of baggage you've got to deal with. I don't even know what your future is. All we have is today in dealing with God and meeting God where we are today. God is sufficient for whatever our past is, whatever our future will be. The issue this morning is that will I always be pressing onward to follow Christ. That's really the issue. It doesn't matter whether you're 44 years in, you're four hours in. The issue is, will I continue, will I always be pressing onward to follow Christ? That There is the story in the gospel I believe it's in Matthew 8, about verse 20. A man came to Jesus and said, Lord, I will follow you wherever you are going. Oh, my. What a wonderful statement he made. Until Jesus looked in his heart, and this was Jesus' response. He said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. 
You see, when Jesus looked at that man's heart, that man said, Lord, just tell me wherever you're going. If you're going to Capernaum or if you're going to Nazareth or you're going to Jerusalem, Lord, I'll travel any, to any destination you want to go. And he said, you don't understand. The life that I'm calling to you is not so much a destination as it is a way of life. You just follow me today. And I'll worry about the destination of where we're going. Hmm. When I was a kid... We traveled a lot. Uh, Florida, California, Yellowstone. A lot of times we went to my mother's side of the family in Memphis, Tennessee. This was the 1960s and early 70s. Three kids in the back seat. The trip to California, I was banished. I was exiled from the rest of the family to the rear of the family station wagon this is before the days of air conditioning being in the back of a station wagon the air conditioning was maybe in the front but when we hit arizona and i had so misbehaved i had been banished to the rear well i was about to make a joke about hell but i don't think it'd be appropriate but anyhow um i remember some of those but back in the day when we would travel, my mother, I know, I said 1960s, 1970s, and if I can get a witness for the Lord, you just say amen. My mother would pack a lunch for us. We did not stop at restaurants and eat. Mama packed us a picnic lunch. Can I get a witness for the Lord this morning? Yes, nobody in this little section with the gray shirt said anything like, what you mean? There were warm, was there electricity? Yeah, there was electricity, but there were not many McDonald's that appeared on the interstate until later in the 70s. Uh, we would stop at rest stops. Now, I'm not talking about these fancy rest stops they have today. No, that's got the fancy bathrooms and all this parking space and all this stuff. These were just little rest stops that had a little circular drive and had these little picnic tables with a covering over them. There was no electricity. There was no running water. There were no lights. It was just a rest stop. And after Daryl Smith, I'm sure, had been a heathen, Sandra said, Ray, pull the car over at this one and let the boar run around for a while. This is before they had medicine for that kind of stuff. The rest stops were the medicine. And then there was also some other things, some boards that were involved, strategically placed on my backside that would get the wiggles out of me. Yes, it would. I know we can't do that these days. We're too sophisticated for that. We would stop at the rest stop and we would run around and we would have our picnic lunch. And then we would continue on our journey. I remember invariably at these rest stops there was a sign that was posted I don't need verification of this invariably there was a sign that was posted at the rest stop and I remembered as a kid and I didn't really understand the significance of it at the time but the sign said no 
overnight camping. No overnight camping. <laughs> yeah, anyhow, anyhow, if you've, if you've camped, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands this morning. You might be a redneck, you know, if you've actually spent the night at a rest stop. But anyhow, hey, hey, hey. But you know what the point is? A rest stop is not a place to stay. It's a place just to stop temporarily. It's not a place to set up a camp. You're not staying there on an ongoing basis. It's just a place for a short time to rest. And then we are moving on to our destination. Now I say all that this morning to say I am afraid spiritually... We have been camping out at some rest stops. And we did not realize that it was not a place to find that we like to say, well, you know what, this is really as far as I want to go. I think I'm just going to stay here and set up camp. A rest stop is for temporary use only. But I'm afraid spiritually... The tendency in our life is to stay there at a place that we like and say, this is far as I would like to go. Hmm. As I was thinking about these things this week, I came in my Experiencing God Day by Day devotional to February's entry by Henry Blackaby. <laughs> The scripture is, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Matthew 16, 24. And this is what Henry Blackaby then starts the devotional with. February 19th. We can take God's presence for granted. We can assume that because Jesus said he would be with us always, he will follow us wherever we go. And here's the statement that struck me. Jesus does not follow us. We follow him. There is a destination that we are going to Church, we can never be satisfied to find a place of spiritual higher ground that we say, this is as far as I would like to go, Jesus, because this is what happens. Jesus, D-Now Weekend may be a rest stop, and that's all right. But D-Now is not a destination. It is only a rest stop. And Jesus, tomorrow, this afternoon, here in about 30 minutes, he's going on. And the question is, are you going to follow me? Or are you going to stay at D now? Church, February, a month of renewal is a great time. And we need to draw near to God. And we need to do business with God. But February is only a rest stop. It is not our destination because Jesus continues on. And he wants to know, will you continue to follow me? Because even regardless of whatever higher ground you have attained. 
there is more. Here's one of the keys to going deeper with Christ. You must always be pressing onward. If anyone should have reached a level where they said, you know, this is probably good enough, he would have been the Apostle Paul. At the time he wrote Philippians 3, Paul would have been 30 years into a life that was totally transformed by Jesus. A life of evangelism, church planning, missions. Writing the inspired scriptures. He is, he is so following Christ that the world got so mad at him, they put him in jail. He's 30 years in. A life of great spiritual achievement. But he said in Philippians 3, 30 years in of a life spent on Jesus. He said, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is a testimony of one who was always pressing onward. This morning, for the next few minutes... I, quite honestly, my intent is at 11.45, 17 minutes from now, for us to start the invitation time. And there's a reason for that, because I have something very specific I want us to do during the invitation time. And I want to give God all the time He needs in that time. So listen with me quickly this morning. In Joshua chapter 23... Understanding the truth that following Jesus requires that we are always pressing onward. That, that's the truth for this morning. Following Jesus requires that we are always pressing onward. We come to the end of Joshua and his farewell address to the Israelites after, huh, you're not going to believe this, 30 years. Joshua is 110 years old. We don't know exactly how long the conquest of the promised land had taken, but we know uh, that Caleb, his counterpart, was 80 when it started, and if we think Joshua was the same age, then the conquest of the promised land has taken 30 years. It is the end of his life. God's he is done. He has seen God do everything God wanted to do in his life. And this is now his, his, his final words. He retraces their journey of the past. He gives them a challenge for the future. Notice the first five verses with me. 
Joshua says, now, or so the scripture says, Now it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua was old, advanced in age. And Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and said to them, I am old, advanced in age. Notice what he says. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. See, I have divided to you by lot these nations that remain. To be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off as far as the great sea westward. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. So you shall possess their land as the Lord your God promised you. Joshua, somewhat in this summation, retraces their journey. Now, if you were here last Sunday, you know that the pastor was in Joshua chapter 9. And now all of a sudden we're in Joshua chapter 23. There's a lot of detail in the conquest of the land. That's the assignment that God had given Joshua. And I I take these verses as a summary of what God has done. He says in verse 1 that God has given us rest. There were no more, uh, they had rest from their enemies. There were no more battles. You've got to get this scene. You've got to understand the history and, and what's going on here. And yes, God delivered them out of Egypt and He led them to the promised land. He led them to the edge of the promised land. They didn't have the faith to go in. He condemned them for 40 years until that generation died out to wander in the wilderness. They came to the edge. God takes Moses out. In fact, Moses has a farewell address at the end of Deuteronomy that parallels Joshua's farewell address at the end of Joshua. You know what that reminds me? Is that every generation is always going to have a challenge. Moses is going over all the details at the end of Deuteronomy. You people got to do this and this and this and this. God takes him out. It was a new day. Joshua was the man. God tells Joshua, Joshua 1, be courageous. Go up and take the land. Lead the people. So they cross over the Jordan River. God miraculously stops it. They cross over. They take Jericho. They go to Ai, this morning's life group lesson. Well, we didn't really get to that, but they eventually take Ai. They go to Shechem, and they build an altar there in the middle of the promised land to say, we will love the Lord our God with all of our hearts. And this altar of sacrifice in the middle of the promised land will be a statement for that. And then they begin the military campaign. Um, Kay Bowers, I hate to call you out this morning. Do you still have your little pointer? Is it on your key ring? Does anybody have a little laser pointer? This is bad. Nobody. On your key ring? Anything? You know, a little a red light. Not, not a laser. No, we're not. We're not I'm not going to. I'm not going to go like David Shaw's falling asleep. Take him out, you know. Nobody? Can you run that down, Steve? Oh, we got the map. I'll meet you halfway. I don't know where your halfway is, though. I want you to see this. He's coming right here. He's coming right here. 
I know it scares y'all when I get out here. Oh, is that going to work? A button right. Oh, a laser. Hmm. Oh, there it is. Is it working, David? Oh. The children of Israel. Oh, boy, my hands are shaky. Let's see if I can study that. They've come from Egypt in this region. And they've come up. I told y'all this is going to happen. Um, and they went up, and the spies went here, and they looked around, and they said, sure enough, it's a land that flows with milk and honey. But the people that live here are the giants, Hebron right there. And so God banishes them to wander in the wilderness, not even on the map. It's out here, people. It's down here. Not even on the map. But eventually they come up this way, and they come to across the Jordan, right across from the Jericho. God parts the waters of Jericho, and they go up and they take... I can't keep that. To, yeah, that's bad. I haven't been drinking this morning much. It's like my hand can't be steady. They take Jericho. They camp at Gilgal. Right, oh, wow, we got a telestrator. He told me they had that, but he didn't want me to play with it this Sunday. Oh, okay, hey, 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 if there's another red pointer, where is it? They arrest people to do this to airplanes. I'm sorry, I've got 10 minutes now. You people. Remember I told you they have medicine for this now. Uh, now, see, I don't even... Okay. They go and they take Ai, and then they go up to Shechem. Okay, that's funny. I'm going to say in the name of Jesus, whoever has that, stop now, or God's going to do something really bad to you. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. And, and I am Jesus' right-hand man. And it would give me no greater pleasure. Not, no, no more. No. They come to Shechem. And they build an altar there. And then what the scripture says, and these chapters in, in Joshua, there is a southern campaign in this region. Y'all, I can't, let me try my left hand. Maybe it's steadier. Oh, wow, it's my right hand that's the problem. Uh, the league of these southern cities attack. And Joshua defeats them. He defeats all the kings in these cities. So they've come in, they've taken the central part, of the promised land. And then for a couple chapters in Joshua, they take the southern league. And then there's a northern league. These guys say, no, we're gathering up together and we're going to come out and take them. They meet them. They defeat all the cities. And that's several chapters in Joshua and some of the chapters that we've missed. And they take, they take, there's a central campaign, there's a southern campaign, and then there's a northern campaign. When, when Joshua says... In verse 3, you have seen... I'm, I'm finished with the map now, Steve. Thank you. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done for you and all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is He who has fought for you. The military campaign was the first aspect of going in. They took the major strongholds. The second part, he says in verse 4, See, I have divided to you by lot. When he finishes that in, in, the, in the Scriptures in Joshua... After they've finished the military campaign, they've taken all the major cities. Uh, they've conquered, in essence, the land. They divided up the land into the tribes that you saw on the map. So that the people could then go up and occupy the land. Because at that point, the military had just gone out. 
the army had gone out. The people had stayed at Gilgal. Now they go in. Each tribe got an allotment. And they went out and they occupied the land. But what the scriptures say, and you can see it throughout Joshua, and you see it particularly in Judges chapter 1, which is the next book, there were, listen, this is very important, there were pockets of people that they did not drive out. Okay? Military campaign. The army went, took all the strongholds. They divided out the land. They told each tribe, go up and you possess the land. Conquer the land, possess the land. But when they were given their allotment, they said, you've got to drive the peoples of those lands out. And he says that in verse 5. For the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight so you shall possess their land as the Lord your God promised you. Joshua's job was to conquer the land and to divide up the land But Joshua's leaving. God's finished with his task in his life. It was now the responsibility of the people to drive out the peoples of the land. And what we know from the scriptures, and I know this is like telling you the end of the story, but before I get there, they didn't do it. The military won these battles, yeah. We got our allotment of land. Yeah, we went. We started making houses and farms and planting things like that. And we got settled. Well, the problem is there were Canaanites still camped out at the rest stop over there. And God said, no, you've got to drive them out. But after a while, the people just didn't have the heart to do it anymore. And they left little pockets of the peoples of the land. Historically, it's huge. So in these first five verses, Joshua retraces their steps of what God has done. If we were to retrace our steps of where we've been since January 1, we have, we have learned from the Israelites as they go up and take the promised land, the higher ground, that it, 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 it will always require faith. There must be a break with the past, the old. We must deal with the strongholds that are right in front of us. It will require a higher power. There must be a heart relationship with God that must be at the very center of all that we do. And as last Sunday we learned, there must be wholehearted obedience to do everything that God has done. And this morning, we need to understand in the journey... We must always be pressing onward. You see what happened to the children of Israel? They got in the land, they conquered it, they controlled it, they possessed it. And they didn't finish the task that God gave them to do. And Joshua is prophetic and he speaks to that. Let's look at these last verses. Verse 6, and we're going to read through verse 13 and then I'm finished. After I make a few comments on those verses. Therefore, be very courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. The crazy thing is that is almost a direct quote of what God told Joshua in Joshua 1, 7. Joshua, 30 years later, tells the people, be courageous. 
word of warning, verse, verse 7. And lest you go among these nations, these who remain among you, you shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them, nor bow down to them. But you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. But as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. Therefore take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Because it's always... The very center is a heart relationship. But when our hearts are wholly His, then we will live out wholehearted obedience. That will, There will be power in that. And God's blessing if our hearts are wholly His. And here it is in verse 12 and 13. Or else. If indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you, and make marriages with them, and go into them and they to you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you. Why is that? Because disobedience always has a consequence. And one of the consequences of disobedience is a loss of power. It is staying at the rest stop and Jesus has moved on. Jesus is not with you anymore. He's moved on. He asked you to follow him. You camped out. Here it is at the end of verse 13. But they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. The danger would be that if they did not drive those little pockets of people that were left out, the Canaanites, they would begin to allow them to infiltrate their lives and they would name their gods and they would swear by them and they would bow down to them they would cling to those people. Um, they would marry them. And he says, eventually they will be snares and traps and scourges and thorns. You see, the reality is, even with all that God had done, it's not enough to stay there. You say, well, I, this is as far as I want to go. The Christian life can never be about this is as far as I want to go. You cannot. Blackaby. What does Blackaby say over and over? You cannot stay where you are and go with God. And historically, actually, what we know is that the children of Israel were satisfied with where they were. And they stopped pressing onward. They became satisfied. And in time they lost the power. 
And in time, the discipline of God came upon their lives because their hearts had departed from Him. Which brings us to today. What is it that in the midst of this month, God has confronted you with. Students, what is it this weekend that God confronted you with and said, this is right in front of you. you got to deal with this. I'm telling you, we cannot keep following Jesus and not deal with those things. What is it this month in the month of renewal? That as you have gone through the assignments, as you have said in your life group, and you've heard these things, and God is seeking to draw us back into a wholehearted relationship with Him, what is it that is in front of your face that God said, you, this is the issue you've got to deal with? Satan's going to say, you've come far enough. This is a really good place. And maybe you're even at a higher ground than most people that are like you. This is far enough. The crazy thing is, in every generation in the story that I've told, they could have been satisfied to stay in Egypt. There was a certain security there. They could have been satisfied to stay in the wilderness as God provided the manna and the water and the quail. They could have been satisfied with the military conquest of the land to stay at Gilgal. They could have been satisfied to go up and divide the land and to be able to occupy the land. And actually the children of Israel were. And all of a sudden you come to a new day and Joshua says, in essence, no, if you don't go all the way, these people will be a scourge upon you and they will come up and you will be entrapped by them. And historically, actually, that's what happens. It didn't just happen for the Israelites. It happens to us that we come to the place where we're satisfied. And so I'm going to ask Shane to come and to play. Um, somewhat the invitation is in response to disciple now. I understand that. But it's really for all of us as we find ourselves in the midst of renewal. And what I'm going to ask us to do is I'm gonna, I want you, I want to have prayer clusters. And so in just a minute, we're going to stand and we're going to hold hands. I want there to be about four or five of y'all, whatever is a comfortable little group. And I want you to pray for one another. Uh, Byron and I are actually going to be at the front. I guess if there's a public commitment you need to make, we're here. But for the rest of the congregation, whether you're part of d or whatever, I want you to have a, a prayer cluster. And probably there's just going to be one person that prays in your group. Um, but I would like as many people within the group to say, I would like you all to pray for me about this. This is the issue. This is what I'm dealing with. This is what I need God to do in my life in, in right now, today, so that I can go on. Um, and so groups of four to five, probably no more than six, 
Maybe if you hold hands, so you're gonna, we're, all, we're all going to have to stand right now. Right now. And uh, I want you to share in your group what, is, what it is that's right in front of you that God needs to do in your life. Yeah, and students, if, even if there's, there's groups that were part of D now, if you want to get your group and you want to come find a spot somewhere, choir, I don't, you come to the choir loft, anywhere up here at the altar, you come, whatever you need to do. I want you to share what it is, is that God needs to do in your life and what you want your group to pray for you about. And so we're going to pray for one another. Byron and I are here at the front. If you need us, if you need to make a public commitment, 